Welcome back to episode three of Common Land, my final glance in the triptych made for B-side on Portland. In episode one, I harvested my tithe to Portland, collecting sounds and creating music from the spaces I found on the island. In episode two, during B-side festival, we were all hefted into spaces to experience art and fresh air out of lockdown. I've learned that incinerators emit more than one billion toxic particles per second, poisoning the air we breathe and the land that we grow food on. So I'd like to do a shout out to Portland Permaculture, Portland So I'm returning to Portland at a point where winter is touching the island and people are raising their voices in protest. Because if this goes ahead, we're going to have to seriously consider if we can grow food here. It sounds very different to the light, melodic days of summer. They're so right about health. The whole thing is just disgusting. An audible, emotional snapshot of the island at a specific time. Yeah, yeah and the, the prevailing wind is that... There is no prevailing wind on Portland, it goes that way. And so this episode is looking at enclosure. The Enclosure Acts were a series of parliamentary acts, the majority of which were passed between 1750 and 1860. It meant that rights of access were restricted, and thus in many ways a class system was implemented. Enclosure also refers to the consolidation of land, bringing it together under an estate. So it's managed, managed well. It could be a brilliant and wonderful space. Managed poorly, could be devastating. We're all walking from the green down to the gate of the money machine. You don't care for anyone else. You just care about yourself, self, 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 self. Let's be brutally honest about this incinerator. This is all about the interest of a few individuals who want to make a stack of money on the backs of ordinary people, on the backs of our homes, on the backs of this beautiful place, on the backs of our children and grandchildren. People were displaced by the act of enclosure. This week, my grandson turned six, and I sang him happy birthday. And I'm terrified of the future that awaits him, because I've read the science, and I've seen what the IPCC report says, and I've seen what is coming down the tracks for us as a as a planet, and it should scare us. There is no way. There is no failure. There is no failure. And I believe that humankind are collectively good when they stand up together and say, we had enough. Yeah. 
so today we're saying we've had enough. And we're going to say to Dorset Council we've had enough. And this is not a spoiler, but you do need to hear a disclaimer. Portland is not common land. It is not all common land. It is part of the Crown Commons and managed as such by the historic institution and representatives of the population of the island. To quote this relationship, the soil belongs to the Crown and the herbage belongs to the commoners. There are six villages that comprise the island, and each have an inspector. There is a court leet who sits on the local council. Portland wrestles with this. It is residential and also managed space. Her Majesty's prison service and the Navy have had tabs on the land at points, and all these factions have in some way to work together for the peace of the island. During the demonstration, plume of smoke was let off from a point where the smoke from the planned chimneys of the incinerator would rise against the Verne. The image of the smoke rising has stuck with me. It's a stark image of the impact that this incinerator could have. And I needed to find out more. So I sought out Ian Baird, who set off the smoke on the Verne, a member of one of the activist groups campaigning against the incinerator. I found him in his reform studio, which is packed to the rafters with pieces of Portland wood and drift, ready to be repurposed. Who am I? Um, I'm a, a reinvented man who, after 26 years, uh, punishing myself in public service, I decided that I did not want to do that or have anything to do with anything like that again. Not that there's anything wrong with that, it just wasn't me. Um, so uh, when I left, I was somebody I had no practical skills whatsoever. And I decided that, um, well, I, I felt pretty useless. So I decided to go to the Boat Building Academy at Lyme Regis and learn how to uh, make traditional wooden boats. And I did try and work as a uh, wooden boat builder for a while out of the back of my car. Um, <clears throat> but that was really, really hard work and uh, not terribly rewarding financially. And of course I do still have to make, you know, something of a living. But I wanted to use the skills that I got to try and turn my hand to anything. Um, using this wonderful natural medium of wood and that's kind of where I am now. Um, so I've got this uh, overpacked workshop um, full of pieces of tree. I don't tend to use planed and sawn timber. I use things that I've found. I use things that I've been donated. Um, really almost everything in here has still got the bark on it. It's recognizable as a tree and I will make anything and everything that I possibly can 
out of it and out of other things like found old copper nails that I find on the beach and things like that I'll incorporate them into the pieces that I'm making and just try and make something that's beautiful and interesting I'm not I'm not pretentiously trying to call, call myself an artist because I'm not but I just enjoy what I do and then try and and make a, a few coins out of it if I'm lucky. My mum and dad used to bring me on days out, seaside days out as a child to Weymouth. And the funny thing is that we never came to Portland and I wasn't even aware that it was here. And I, I've, I've got a, a really early memory, I must have been I suppose about eight or nine, of being on the beach at Weymouth and pointing at this landmass in the distance, a bit hazy. You know, Going, Dad, what's that? And he just went, oh, that's Portland, it's a naval base. And that was it. I suppose at the time my curiosity was satisfied. I didn't give it a second thought. Carried on digging up Weymouth Beach. And then um, I was diving at the time and we came down on a diving trip to Portland and it was the first time I'd ever been to Portland. And it was actually um, just after the Navy had moved out, so it's pretty depressed because the island lost a third of its employment overnight. Um, and we, there was a, I remember there was a little shop that sell, sold diving equipment in Fortune's Well, and we went up there to get something. And I looked at this place, and you could see that it was looking pretty grim and depressed at that time. But I just saw, I just thought, this place is absolutely amazing. And I fell in love with it there and then. And um, the, the strange thing was I'd never ever formed an intention then to move to Portland. But every subsequent move took me nearer and nearer and nearer. I've said before that Portland is extremely open. It sounds open. There are a few fences or walls and a network of pathways driven into the surface denote more than the boundaries between these areas. It's at the edge of winter on Portland. And I'm just standing on a track, the edge of Fancy's farm, which is surrounded by old MOD fencing, very austere concrete posts and barbed wire and looking out in front of me onto the grove it's a lot chillier than it was when I was first here you might be able to hear my cloth moves my coat, my scarf even my hat rattling around in the background but those are all part of the sounds of winter they're all part of feeling warmer the enclosure that we put ourselves through. There's um, a lady I know who lives in Fortune's Well who's a Geordie. Her husband is a Portlander and I think she met him through the Navy. But she's got a really neat way of summing it up. And she says that Portland chooses her people. And as I walk through the bushes as the sun sets, different birds appear. Because so many people don't get it. I've known people come here and I've, I've raved and been... The brambles have died off. ..so uh, fanatical about it. The bushes are looking a little barer. The evergreens are there. The ivies are quite sparse as I walk through. I don't know what, you know... No, it doesn't do it for me. And I'm just going, but... 
can't you see it? <laughs> can't you see it? And I'm not going to be able to walk too much further because it's going to start getting dark and I'm going to have to find my way back. But I did want to and just say how hard it was to come here today. My own enclosure and everybody else's mental health which has taken such a huge blow this year doesn't stop me doing things but it slows me believing I can do them and that's difficult that's really hard don't tell many people I was a police officer because they put me in a box I don't want to be in I ended up with depression and uh, yes and quite and it wasn't the work it was the political infighting and, and just general sort of nastiness that went on and I did some things I am really proud of. Um, but the things I'm really proud of, I think this is the same for pretty much all public service. You know, you can spend years working on something you think, actually, this is going to make a really positive difference to people's lives. And it will come out in a great big fanfare, and then next, you know, nothing happens with it. That was the final nail in the coffin. It just, it just drove me into the ground, and I couldn't, couldn't bear it. You could literally be on the bones of your ass, or you could be wealthy and titled and whatever, and here it makes no difference whatsoever. Everybody pitches in together. So somebody who lives here but wasn't born here is a Kimberlin, it's a local dialect word. So I'm a Kimberlin, and I will be until the day I die, I can't avoid it. This montage of voices protest and struggle and our sense of our own enclosure it's a slightly different listen to the last two podcasts it presents a picture an audio picture of a journey and hopefully in some way connects the real struggle that Portland seems to be experiencing at the moment A lot windier up here, as you can hear. Portland breeze, as it's now known. And yeah, on this side, I can see right over to the Jurassic Coast. Right on the cliff edge. And inside these batteries, concrete batteries that are right embedded on the cliff edge and I can see Portland Harbour the lights of what looks like a, a fishing vessel and I can also see down into the little parts of some of the areas of Portland who can't quite get into the working quarries on the uh, east side just south of the harbour but there are pathways there but there's a nice thing isn't it because it was enclosed and now it isn't um, so people are free to go there and it, I mean it's such an interesting space it, it's one of those places that um, 
when you walk up there, there's both a degree or a high degree of natural beauty and life, particularly because it's one of the places where the blue butterflies particularly proliferate. Totally unique blue butterfly that we have here, the Cretaceous silver studded blue, so you know it doesn't exist anywhere else. of the, the doorway uh, that's been hewn out of the rock uh, just to protect obviously from the wind and stuff as it's getting a little cloudy. You have that up there but then you also have this menace don't you and of course it has the name the ghost tunnels um, and it is you know I'm, I'm not really worried about that kind of thing but you, you walk in there with your mobile phone torch on and you do kind of feel like someone's looking over your shoulder and it, it, it's um yeah it's a remarkable remarkable space but there yeah that juxtaposition between menace from the past um today it's crumbling but you still kind of feel that there's a a strong presence of something potentially malevolent in there and then a blue butterfly flies past you and it's got whoa, whoa, whoa that's going to be completely different mm -hmm. and the wildflowers i mean one of the things that i'm really into is the, you know, the wildlife and, and and botany and whatever um and the wildflowers that exist up there and in many other places in the island are just absolutely stunning so much of the rest of the island is open to be walked across the, the question of ownership never really bothers me the question of ownership then being allowed to enclose things and stop people from going on there, that really does bother me. Um, and, you know, the whole thing like with the Kinder Scout trespass back in the 30s, I mean, those are great things that people have done to gain access to land, which we should all have access to. I suppose my view of Portland is that, yes, it's owned, but that people aren't really impeding its access unless it's absolutely necessary. But if it ever came to the point where they did impede access to the land of Portland, then um, I would be at the, the head of the demonstration. And I just come across that one of those maze paths and kind of realise what they're for, or what they are for me anyway. And you follow, I followed this curved path, skirted with stone, all the way around itself, sort of inside and outside. And it's a thinking space. It's a brilliant thinking space. You can go in with a problem and resolve it and leave, and leave a rock on the pile at the end of this path. So I think that's a very good idea. So I'm just going to pick up a rock from the piles here and rest it there. I'm sure so many people have trodden this before. I can see, you know, where where people have followed it when they've walked around here too. Um, so I hope loads of problems have been solved in this space and that people walk away feeling clearer. And Some maybe just have a nihilistic streak. Some throw their hands up in the air and go, well, it's going to happen anyway, so, like, you know, there's no point in doing anything about it. Well, there's always a point in trying to stop something that's that's bad. And we, I think we actually have a, a duty and a responsibility to try and stop something that's bad. But if you're talking about enclosure, I mean, one of the things that goes through my mind is that 
um, we've, we've got this thing uh, which you can look at called the plume plotter and it shows you for any weather conditions live so I could look at it now and it would tell me with the weather conditions we've got the wind speed and everything else where that plume of pollutants would be going and sometimes when the weather's coming from the north it's blowing directly back across the island south across the island and across across my my house and my garden effectively and everybody else's when that happens i won't want to go out because i know i'm going to be breathing in microparticles so there's a sense of enclosure that i'm going to think I've got to stay indoors because otherwise I'm going to be breathing this pollution into my lungs. Now, another little aside, and uh, you know, I don't want to make this sound mawkish, but my mum died a couple of years ago from um, pulmonary fibrosis, and they, the doctors that were treating her, she died very quickly after it was diagnosed. But they said we're really puzzled how you've got this because she was a nurse all her life. And they said this is a this is a disease of, of farmers and builders and people who work in dusty environments. Well, obviously, somewhere during her working life, maybe in the 60s, in a building with asbestos in or something like that, she picked up tiny, tiny things in the air that she couldn't see that eventually killed her. Exactly the same could happen to huge numbers of people here because this thing does let out microparticles. Now I watched her die, and she was in a great deal of pain. But this is a real, real issue. She was in a great deal of pain. And she was so brave. <sighs> I don't want to die like that. And I don't want anybody else to die like that. And to think that somebody for profit could think that they could put something like that in a place like this, which has really clean air and is a, in many places is a pristine environment yet yeah, there are parts of the island that are industrial you know um but that's fine because it's a working place it's not it's not a museum it's not a you know a, a chocolate box cover um but to think that people could think about putting something like that in a place like this that has so much natural beauty and so much you know we have clean seas clean air and put people at risk just to fill their pockets with cash. I realise that this is the second time in this podcast you're hearing the sound of a man crying. But there's so much more to hear from Ian. Candor about his previous life and moving out of enclosure. His infectious love affair with Portland is catching. Ian's passion is also focused on protection. The incinerator is part of a planned energy recovery facility, an ERF. Plans show that this is to be based in front of the Verne, with the facility to store the residue left by burning uncompostable plastic waste, which releases microplastics into the air. And if that term is familiar to you, microplastics have already been found to cause devastating damage to marine ecology worldwide. You know, I came here with fresh eyes, but I 
and maybe this is because of things in the past and maybe it is because of how Portland makes me feel but I kind of don't feel that there are any no-go areas I mean there are some areas now that you physically can't get into like the port and as I said earlier I understand why that is but it used to be that there were holes in the fence and people used to go through into what's called the forbidden city and I would have loved to have done that and I would have done it um, but now obviously you know it, it is impossible to get in there and people have been prosecuted for doing so and I'm not going to put myself in the way of that um, but when you go up to the prison there's a road that goes around the seaward side of it and there is a sign there that says you know you mustn't go any further than this point but everybody does and I do <laughs> it's a nice place to walk around because it's got fantastic views yeah. and quite often you hear the prisoners hanging out the windows and they're having a chat and it's usually things like their girlfriends or you know which pub they're going to go to when they get out in a week's time and this sort of thing so um it, you know, it's. Um, I don't. I don't find it oppressive. Um, a prison has to be enclosed. That doesn't. That doesn't bother me. Half past four in the afternoon, but it feels like evening, and the greys and mauves in the sky are really starting to layer themselves on top of Portland. I wouldn't be surprised if we have a little rain later. As I walk out of here. I feel a bit lost for words. They decided to form this group, which has now become called Jurassic Coast Against Incineration. And they asked me if I would become a part of it because there are very real reasons why it should be stopped. Because of this, this, this thing that is going to chuck out nitrogenous waste, sulfurous waste, ammoniac waste, heavy metals, microparticles, it does throw those things out, no matter how much they filter it, they can't filter everything out. Okay, this thing that's going to chuck out all this pollution uh, is surrounded by SSSIs, calcareous grassland, which is a really rare grassland habitat, which supports a lot of really rare animals, and marine conservation areas. I mean, for just for that reason alone, it's utterly, utterly crazy to even think about sighting somewhere, th th this thing in somewhere like that. It's going to be incredibly visible because it's right smack bang in the middle of the Jurassic Coast. The images that um, Powerfuel have produced depicting what it will look like are utterly ridiculous and this is pointed out to me by a friend who's an architect. So they show this thing as being something quite small on the edge of the pier with a small chimney. But the actual building itself is going to be 15 storeys high. Now the way Powerfield have depicted it is that it's just a little bit higher than the buildings that are on the quayside. But if you look at the buildings that are on the quayside, they are only one or two storeys high. This thing's going to be 15 storeys. The chimney is going to be nearly 90, 90 metres high. It's going to be absolutely huge. And the other thing that they're looking at is storing the waste at Admiralty Quarry, which is right in the middle of the island below Fancy's farm. So all the waste that comes in, where Nicodemus's knob is down below the engine shed, that big area there where there's a, an old football pitch, which is now sort of growing over and subsuming to nature. Um, that's where they're looking at storing all the plastic waste. The music of the island sounds different, doesn't it? It's darker. You can almost feel the light fading earlier and the sounds feeling more enclosed. 
the beautiful piano music that you hear has been harvested from B-side performance at the Portland Museum. And in tone and emotion, there have to be minor keys as well as major. They can bring it in from anywhere in the world by sea to be burnt. And let's make no bones about this. This is not about power generation because that is ancillary. Because the amount of power that this thing would produce is less than one wind turbine. There is something starkly beautiful about this island. And I am drawn to it. Burn ERF. Fuel that's produced from waste. The rules state that you must burn it near where it is produced. Well, Dorset is produced at Canford Heath. And there is a site there if they needed to do it, although they don't, because all of our ERF at the moment goes to Marchwood near Southampton, which is actually closer to Canford Heath than Portland is, and it's burnt there. Um, but Dorset doesn't produce much. We've got really good recycling rates, so we do not need a waste incinerator to get rid of our rubbish. So that's another argument that doesn't wash. The, the, they are planning to bring in waste from anywhere in the world by sea and burn huge quantities of it and store it up on the Admiralty Quarry, below Fancy's farm, where it will be really visible. If you'd like to find out more about the campaign and the plans for the incinerator on Portland, then hop over to stopportlandwasteincinerator.co.uk or follow the Facebook pages set up by Portland for the Planet and Jurassic Coast Against Incinerators. It is a larger problem than just this small island. I, as I understand it, it was going to be this month that that process was going to be finished. It has now been put back to February. With the recent COP26 uh, conference of world leaders and the huge public concern, because it, you know the, the number of letters objecting to it compared to the numbers supporting it, vastly, vastly outweighs it. And with the evidence that is clearly there, you know, this site is surrounded by SSSIs, marine conservation zones, a Ramsar wetland site. It is going to damage those things. Um, I would hope, I fervently hope, that Dorset County Council are going to see sense and see that this is not the right thing to put here. Dorset doesn't need one. Our waste is already dealt with at Canford Heath and then at Marchwood um, Incinerator, which is actually closer to Canford Heath. And if you look at what the leading academics in waste disposal are saying, is they are saying, don't burn this stuff because we made it, we should actually be able to unmake it. 
If nearly 60 years ago we could put people on the moon, we can surely learn how to recycle a lot of the materials that we, we make. And there's valuable material in there, but once it's been incinerated, it just becomes toxic ashes and those still have to go into landfill. I mean, people are saying that you can make bricks out of them for houses. Yeah, maybe you can, but they're still toxic. Because if you think about it, the wind changes direction. So sometimes it'll be blowing over Portland, but sometimes it won't. With a prevailing wind from the southwest, a lot of this pollution is going to be heading over towards Osmington, um, you know, and, and uh, Purbeck. Um, so the people there are going to be affected. Um, the Ridgeway is a place that's got a lot of scientific um, special interest, um, and there are communities up there, and, and it's going to hit the Ridgeway like a barrier, you know, and it. it it's trying to get people in that wider area interested. Um, I am by nature actually an optimist and I do think and I have felt all along that it won't go ahead. Dorset doesn't need it anyway. It's just the wrong project in the wrong place. Effort needs to be put into reducing, recycling, reusing more. Um, we've already discussed the fact that the site where they're intending to put this thing would be, if it was necessary, suitable uh, on three counts, wave, solar and wind, to have um, uh, sustainable energy producing sources there, um, which I think the general population would welcome. Um, the other thing about it is, is that the site, the amount of employment on the site compared to the size of the site, because there are ratios. Uh, to say, you know, this is a desirable level of employment for the, the hectareage of the site, um, falls well below that. So it, it, it doesn't work on any level other than as a waste management facility to bring in stuff from anywhere in the world and burn it and be paid for doing so. So it, it doesn't work. And I really hope that, you know, particularly since COP26 and since this is now really, really back in the public mind and people are really seeing that um, you know we've got to do something really drastic to stop uh, temperatures rising. And this thing is going to chuck out, was it, 270 tonnes of carbon dioxide every single day. We each create our own unique soundprint on the world. And you, right now, you may be sitting with headphones on, on a bus, walking the dog, or at home. You could say you've chosen to be enclosed. Shut out a layer of sound. I come with a golden nugget. So I only discovered this last night, thanks to the incredible Dorset Deb, who has been researching for the last two years like an absolute pro. Give a massive shout out to Dorset Deb. <laughs> Within the UK Clean Maritime Plan, it sees zero emission shipping as a future whereby no greenhouse gas emissions or air quality pollutants are emitted by vessels of any type operating in UK waters or in the ship to shore activities required to facilitate those operations. That is saying that incinerators will not be able to supply shore power to cruise ships.
I'm coming to the end of my journey with these three parts. I think like the strata and the layer of the rocks, I'm just trying to drill that little bit deeper to find out what makes this place tick. So I'm at Southwell, and as you can hear in the background, this most southern tip of the island. And it's wonderful. The horizon is absolutely 180 degrees. There's lots of little channels and eddies that um, you might pick up. Just on this ledge below me, someone's thrown some roses, some really fresh red roses, in memorial, in remembrance. There's a lot of memories here. Tithing, hefting, and now the enclosure of the season and tensions of boundaries and ownership that balance the summer. Solstice to solstice harvest to gathering and enclosure for contemplation and now the expectation of festivities and spring to look forward to. So Portland was that jumping off point uh, for absolute freedom and going across the channel at night when there's just you in a sailing boat and the wind, no engine, you know, and you can see the loom of the Portland light and you can see the loom of the Sherberg light when you're in mid-channel if, if the conditions are right. And so you can't see the actual light, you can just see the loom of it across the sky. And so that was a Portland connection that represented absolute freedom. There are many to thank for the opportunity to test this first iteration of the Common Land podcast. All those well met on the journey, friends made walking the pathways of the island. The sounds are always changing, never static, so this journey will continue. This episode is dedicated to Hildegard Westerkamp, whose sound walks and compositions celebrate the real in sound around us. She has stayed in my ears since I took the leap out of my own enclosure in 2005. This has been a so niche production for B-Side Festival 2021. Portland chooses her people.